New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Creativity is a journey with lots of ups and downs, twists and turns. To be creative, one cannot watch from the sidelines. Our guest today says, I believe with all my heart that creativity is the natural state of each of us. It is our birthright. We are born with an instinct to express ourselves just as we are born with an instinct to survive. We come into this world whole and connected to our capacity to give voice to our feelings and desires. But something happens to us in the process of growing up that disconnects us from that voice. Today we'll be exploring the question, how can we tap into what has inward meaning to us that will lead us to an outward expression of significance with our guest, Kathy Wild. Kathy Weil is a creativity expert and has developed creative processes for both private and corporate clients. She's a pioneer in somatic counseling, the expressive arts, and the field of life coaching. She has founded Body-Centered Healing, an experiential process which supports clients on the personal journey of transformation. Her private practice is located in Northern California. She's the author of Wild Ideas, Creativity from the Inside Out. Join us for the next hour as we explore the creative process with our guest, Kathy Weil. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Kathy, welcome. Hi, Justine. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. I know that early on in your career, you stepped out creatively. Uh, I, I was just struck by uh, something that you mentioned early on, that you you found yourself doing something called body conditioning. And that was long before we had fitness trainers. So you are not a stranger to getting out there with your creative endeavors. Um, so can you give us a little overview of how you got into that and what that was like for you? That was a long time ago, and I think it was really partly an act of desperation because I had tried to go the traditional route. And that day, most people, even the people I knew that were creative, uh, were working for other people. So the traditional route would be what? The traditional route is, you know, you finish school and then you pick a field and you get a job somewhere. 
and you work nine to five uh, and you work for other people. And that seemed to be what everyone was doing. And I tried that for a long time and I tried a variety of different fields. And after a while, I started noticing it didn't seem to matter what sort of job I had. The structure of the work world was something that just didn't work for me. I needed to make my own hours and have my own time. And it was very excruciating to come to that realization because there were there really weren't people doing that the way there are today, where entrepreneur is kind of a big buzzword now. So at the time, it was really uh, a combination of despair and uh, ingenuity. And I just decided I had to find something for myself. And I had had, um, I had, worked as a, um, I worked at a, uh, like a, a gym. It was really, uh, more of a health spa and I had taught classes. Uh, and so I had had that background and I had a background in ballet and I had read an article that I saw a ballet dancer from New York, a retired ballet dancer was teaching stretching classes and it just kind of set off a chain reaction in me. And I just decided that I was going to start uh, my own business and I was going to focus on body conditioning. I love that idea that you read an article and then you noticed something. You, 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 it, it, it got your attention and then you noticed that it got your attention. You know, you didn't just gloss over it and say, oh, that's an interesting article. It kind of... You let it stop you, in other words. I did, and I think that's the key. I think when you get to the point that you're looking or searching for something and you're really aware of what's going on around you, you need to pay attention to those resonances and those signs. And at that time, I had been um, getting myself back into shape. I really hadn't been feeling that well, and I was young, and my natural health and my natural conditioning wasn't getting me by anymore. So I had just spent the, that prior year working on my own health and healing and getting myself back into shape. So I think the combination of having that personal experience along with reading the article and having some kind of background in dance and having taught some classes at a health club, that really prepared me to notice and to right. take notice of that article. So there was a synchronicity that happened. So that just naturally leads me into the idea that you you give advice about people who want to pursue their creativity. And you, you give advice that you need to, to know yourself. You need to really look into yourself. You, you need to find what is contributed to who I am right now or um, uh, to know clearly what does success mean to you? These are some of the questions that you suggest that we explore. Can you say something about the importance of knowing ourselves deeply to know that we can sustain a creative process? Well, I think that's really the key to success. And, and when you're young, it's hard to know who you are. I know that was mm -hmm. certainly my struggle. And the more self-knowledge you have, the more you take the time to explore who you are, 
particularly if your path isn't just unfolding for you. I think there are many, many people that go to school and then they think about what they want to do and they follow a path that is very clear for them. But more and more, I think people are finding that the answers aren't out there. And it makes sense to take time to get to know yourself. I have a number of clients now in their 20s and early 30s that are coming to see me for that reason. They've experimented like I did with the job market. And for one reason or another, it isn't working for them. And they're coming in to get to know themselves better so that they can make choices that are going to work or create those choices to create those realities that are going to work for them. So what are some of the questions you might have someone explore if if you're helping them to know themselves more deeply? Well, I think one of the key questions is how sensitive a person is. A, a, a lot of the clients that come to see me are what I would call highly sensitive people. Um, our culture is not designed for highly sensitive people. It's, it's, it's really about people who can go for it, just do it, uh, for strivers and achievers. And those people really can get ahead, and, and the more they do, the better they feel. But there's a number of people that, that want to find their path, and they, and they want to make a mark in the world, but at the same time, they're highly sensitive, which means they need a different kind of path. They need something that considers their whole person. So one of the things that I fir we first find out about is whether the person is highly sensitive, and what kind of experiences have you felt drawn to in your life? And it isn't just what you like to do. What is the environment that you like to work in? Are you someone that likes quiet? Are you like, do you like to work with other people? So it's not simply just what are you interested in, but also the environment and the kinds of conditions in which you want to thrive. Now, I know that not everyone grows up in that perfect environment. And in fact, you yourself, you grow, grew up in a, a rather neglectful environment. Uh, your mother was not really present for you. And at some point in your life, be, beyond being resentful or, or feeling betrayed or anything, you realize that there was something very that that helped you to be more creative in because of that environment do do you recall the well i certainly didn't feel that way at first i think it took a very long time i did feel resentful and deprived at at one level uh and sad and a lot of despair because for people who are missing that early nurturing it makes a huge dent uh in your ability to make your way. And that's one of the things that we, I deal with with clients is if you've come from a, your background has a lot to do with whether you're going to be able to make your way or not. So I think that healing is really important. I do think that having, I was determined to survive that kind of experience uh, where my mother had a number of breakdowns. Eventually she was committed for a while. And I, w I witnessed all that. And so I was determined to survive. It, it, it inspired me to survive and to do something different with my life. And eventually, as I got older and I was able to do my own healing, 
I th- there was a breakthrough that occurred as a result of that. And I think that's a very important process for people who are, who are struggling to find their way creatively. If you're feeling blocked, a lot of the time there's unfinished business in the past. It isn't just something in the, in the current present that you can just easily get over. And I think it's worthwhile spending time and looking at some of that unfinished business so that you can unblock and, and feel a clear direction in your life. Exactly. Yeah, it makes sense. It means makes sense. So uh, when you're talking about getting over those blocks, it, it might be helpful to have someone like yourself or someone else to help you ask the right questions or journaling or whatever. What, what are some of the suggestions that you work with? Well, I think there is a number of workbooks out there now where people can begin that process on their own. And certainly there's so many therapists and life coaches now. It's, it's, it's really become much more of an open situation right. where people can talk about those things. But what I specialize in is seeing people who have often done a lot of that and they're still stuck. From my point of view, to, the creative process becomes alive when you enter into the the depth of these experiences that may have impacted you deeply in your life. And there's a way to process those experiences through movement, through sound, through voice, through dialogue, through process work. And I specialize in process work. I'm here with Kathy Wild, and she's the author of Wild Ideas, Creativity from the Inside Out. If you want to be in touch with her about her work, you can go to her website, kathywild.com, and she spells her name, Kathy with a C, W-I-L-D.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to new dimensions. Here with Kathy Wild. She's a pioneer in creativity and process work. And Kathy, you just mentioned some of the ways that you work with people. When you come to people come have already done probably a lot of work by the time they get to you, but they're still stuck. And you said that you work with many different kinds of creative expressions. Can you talk about that more fully? Yes. I think that talk 
talk counseling, talk therapy has a lot of value to it. And then at a certain point, you keep telling the same story again. And primarily, you're having an intellectual experience. And even if you are having feelings that come out of that experience, it's still not happening in your body. And what we've learned over time is that our experiences and the memories of those experiences actually are in the body itself. And that's where uh, conditions like PTSD come in, where these experiences are actually in the body and the blocks to our ability to create and to move, move with less anxiety in the world actually has to do with what is being held in the body. So the techniques I use address and directly involve the body. And then we bring it up to the rational mind to think about. So some of the techniques that allow a client to move into their body and have direct access to these experiences have to do with the creative imagination, uh, techniques like gestalt dialogue, movement, sounding, uh, acting out the drama. If you are having a conflict, acting actually acting out the various parts. I, use, I have a bag of techniques, uh-huh. a bag of right. tricks. Bag and, of tricks. And what's right. important is matching that with the client and their needs. I think it's, I think it, it's more effective to really assess where a client's at and then match the techniques for what they're right. ready so for. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. No, it definitely isn't a one-size-fits-all. And I think one of my strengths is that I'm able to adapt to, to a client. And we also, I also teach people how to write and journal. And mm-hmm. I start with a very low bar. Uh, I think most of my clients appreciate that. We also use um, doodling and and drawing. Oh, I love it. Doodling. I yes. do a lot of doodling. Anything myself. that is process oriented, that uses yeah. the body, that yeah. circumvents the thinking mind, will enable a client to get much deeper into the body memory, which then brings it up. And while there is a period of discomfort, ultimately there's an incredible sense of freedom that is uh, because we're making space in the body and in the mind for something new, because we're that that memory or that experience that was unprocessed was taking up space. There is not just an infinite amount of room. As we get older, all these experiences are stacked up in the body and they accumulate like a a block. They become like a block and, or like dark smoke that inhabits the body. And there's just less and less light, less and less room. And uh, eventually all this unintended energy, um, unattended energy begins to form a block and gets in the way of healthy expression. Exactly. One of the questions that you ask once once you've been doing that work for a while, uh, to find someone's creative expression, and I'm going to paraphrase it because it's a question I've come up before in some previous interviews, and I, I just love it. It's it's really about if if... If money were not an issue, if all my needs were taken care of, the roof over my head and I felt satisfied with my hierarchy of needs, what would I be doing to really, really ask that question, to just put aside all the withholds that we have about, yeah, but I need to pay the rent or the mortgage or I have to pay off my car or I have to, you know, my kid's education or whatever it is. But if all of that were taken care of, 
what would I really be doing? I just think that's such a powerful question. Is there something that you can say about that? Well, I yes, I can. I, I think it is a powerful question for people who can actually answer it. But one of the things that I find is that people are so afraid of their desires that even if you pose that question, they, 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 can't, think, they can't think outside that limit that, that, that people's imaginations sometimes are so constrained that even when you pose that question, they can't answer it. So what I, th what I think works really well is to allow the answer to that question to really be the byproduct of an exploration process that focuses on healing and rather than put a client on the spot and ask a question like that, which often they can't answer. Sometimes you can get there through the back door. Sometimes those answers to what is it I really want to be doing will really come up unbidden. They'll come up automatically if you are working on the process of emptying out your vessel with the kinds of experiences that are filling it up that are no longer necessary to carry around. And I mentioned something in the introduction that it, it's about when we get to that core of our, our values, when we get to the core of why we're here, what, what is our unique contribution, when we get to that core, that is a piece that I think you support in your work that is um, much more sustainable, that you're going to have the kind of energy it takes to have to have to have an, an expression of create a creative act. Yes, I think that authenticity is really the key, and honoring. I have I have a concept called fertile limits that I bring up in the book that I think is key. I know I came to that concept through my own experience of feeling like I couldn't really keep up with the cultural majority, the striving and the uh, workaholic tendencies that people have in our culture, and that ideal of just really work, 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 and strive, strive, strive. And I think there's many of us who want to lead a more balanced life, and yet we want to make a contribution. And I think that what we look at with fertile limits is rather than see our limitations as something negative, we begin to focus on fertile limits as a way to honor who we truly are. And I know for myself, as a sensitive person, I needed a lot of downtime. I needed, I needed days off as well as days that were full of meaningful work. And being able to sustain that was very key for me. And I see that all the time in my practice. I, I try to help clients take a personal look at not only their talents, but where they feel their limitations lie. And rather than focus sort of continuously on overcoming limitations, part of it is honoring those limitations so that you know where, where to draw the line. And then that gives you a place to focus and you can bring out the best. I'm, I'm thinking about... Um, Chuck Close, who's a painter, and he had a neurological disability. And that ne neurological disability really was able to inform the way that he did his painting. And if you look at his style, it, it reflects that neurological disability. And I think that's really 
a positive thing for everyone to consider is how can my limitations support my creativity as opposed to looking at how can these limitations be gotten rid of? So I think there's a balance between where we want to stretch our boundaries and where we want to honor our personal limits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That brings me to chaos, uh, because uh, in these times, we live in very chaotic times, and um, we often are are in what you term perceptional overload, (laughs) you know, that we're just overloaded with things. And uh, it just reminds me that so if we're in, we start a creative process and we want it to go a certain way. We we feel we we want to control it. Many times and maybe all times, these endeavors have a mind of their own, and this kind of throws us in chaos. What advice do you have about that? Well. Chaos is definitely part of the creative process. And sooner or later, when you get further and further into your work and or you're doing more and more research related to your work, you're going to feel that feeling of being overwhelmed or swamped. And I think there's various strategies. Some of the time you have to just keep going and let the chaos take you and just know that it eventually will pass and you're going to clear out the other side. And other times... You need to take care of yourself and you have to step back. And whether that's taking a hot bath or taking a walk on the beach or playing with your pet or hanging out with your kids, but taking a a break from that feeling of being overwhelmed, I think that's really important. But other times you have to immerse yourself in that feeling of being overwhelmed and allow the various strands of your idea or, or whatever your situation is to play themselves out. So what I keep getting from you is that it's not a set formula. It's not, you're not putting out, here's step one, two, three, four, A, B, C. It's, it's, it's more uh, fluid than that. And I'm also thinking about a teacher once said to me, and I felt it so true in my life, there's a day to do everything there's a day to do something, and there's a day to do nothing. And we can just recall, at least I can recall in my life, there might be a day when I get everything done on my list. It just my day is just flowing, and there's, it's just all just happening. And then there's another day, no matter what my effort is, nothing is working out. And that might be that day to just pull back and do what you were saying, go walk on the beach or go play with the dog because you're just going to waste your time trying to to make anything work. Is that your experience? Well, I think the question of knowing yourself, which we talked about earlier, that self-knowledge is so key because sometimes the whirling and the chaos is something you want to withdraw from. Other times you need to persevere and keep going. And it's knowing yourself and knowing and intuitively sensing what's needed. And I think that's what creators do is they ask themselves what's needed in this case. And then you need to be able to follow that. And I think that's what separates creators from non-creators is that trust in one's inner process and developing the healing process to the point where you have that trust in yourself. And even though that might put you out of step with what someone else is doing, 
Or even though people might look at you funny and think, oh, you're being lazy because you've decided to take a mental health day in the middle of the day, um, th then you have to trust that that's what's needed as opposed to just constantly pushing through things. And I think that, again, creators can create their day. And on some days you're working very hard and it's going very well and it's almost seamless and it feels like you're flying. And other days you're still working and it's, you're grinding it out and that's what's necessary. And on other days you hit that wall and you just sense that this is a time to step back. I'm here with Kathy Wild, and she's the author of Wild Ideas, Creativity from the Inside Out. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, kathywild.com. And she spells her name, Kathy, with a C, wild, W-I-L-D.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Kathy Wild, and by the way, she spells her name C-A-T-H-Y-W-I-L-D, and she's the author of Wild Ideas, Creativity from the Inside Out. And Kathy, uh, we're, we're talking about rhythms and our life rhythms, and can you say anything more about how we can honor our own personal rhythms? Yes, I think I was saying that sometimes that can be very difficult uh, when we're dealing with other people and in the face of social norms and social pressures. And I think that this is one of the key things that can help a person be more successful creatively and, and find their creative voice is by recognizing that you have a right to have a rhythm and a schedule and a way of approaching the process that is different than other people, and even when other people don't understand it. And here is a typical example. Uh, I have been working with a client, a young woman who recently moved home, like a lot of young people are doing, to explore herself at a deeper level so that she can find her path after making a couple of starts. It, it didn't work out the way she wanted. And one of the things she's finding is that she has days where she is very busy and ambitious, and then she needs to have a lot of rest. And I've been encouraging her to nap in the middle of the day. Uh, and she has tried to do that, but then her mom sees her napping and gets scared that she's somehow wasting her time. And I think this is a often a response when people are taking time off at a time when people are supposed to be working. And I think this is an example of how we need to honor our rhythms and if you want to nap in the middle of the day and maybe do your work later or maybe on another day altogether, I think this is an important way of finding yourself is honoring your work rhythms and alternating that with rest. Kathy, I, I know that in your own work, in your own creative life, going back, this goes back quite a few years, but when you first wrote your book, uh, at least the first 
iteration of your book, you were working with a publisher and you had quite a setback. And I'd love for you to share with us how that worked out for you. Yes, it was quite a setback because originally I had a small publisher come to me and and ask me to write a book. And we agreed on the creativity topic. I would never probably have started the project unless I'd had someone ask me to do it because writing a book is very challenging. And then as I was sending chapters in, pages in, I kept getting wonderful feedback from the editor. We love the book. We love this. Keep going. And then I hit a, a difficult snag in the book, which, which often happens. It was when I was at the middle stages of the book. And that's a vulnerable time where you are too far into it to really stop, but you're nowhere near the end. And you can really get lost in a big project like that. And around that time, um, the publisher, where I was needing support from the publisher in order to get some clarity about the direction, they got scared and they, I think there was a lot of pressure on them. When I look back on it at the time, there was a lot of pressure on small publishers because the publishing industry was changing. But basically, they dropped me in the middle of that struggle that I was going through. And it was pretty devastating because I had assumed that they would help me through the process. That was how how it seemed from the beginning. They prided themselves on working with new writers and helping them through the process. So it was pretty devastating. And like any disappointment that cuts deep, it's going to bump up against your prior losses, your prior betrayals, your prior devastations. And without realizing it, I just ended up really cycling into a deep place of despair. When I look back on it now, it was probably an overreaction to the situation, but losing that support and that confidence in the publisher, it seemed to confer my own private demons, which is if I trust someone, I'm going to be betrayed. And it forced me to have to go back into the past and really examine a lot of those feelings. And it was devastating. I mean, I really couldn't get out of bed for a while. And again, somebody else might look at the situation and say, well, okay, that was a disappointment, but you just keep going. Well, eventually I did just keep going, but I couldn't just keep going right away. I needed to stop and look at what got triggered and really go back into places that I thought I had already healed that related to my mother and that loss of support that was so early in my upbringing. So what you did is you went back and did something that I would call very healthy. And I, I, I think that that would devastate anyone when they think they have a, a contract with, with a publisher, so to speak. I mean, that's a big deal. And then for that to kind of dissipate in the middle of it, I, I mean, hey, that's a big deal. So I, I don't want to diminish that. But what you did is that after, I'm not sure you did it right away, but after a while, you did what you had control of, which is your response and your reaction to that and how you could use it to dig deeper into your own process. I mean, it, it, I know it took you 12 years before you picked up this project again. Yes, um, not just because of that, because I did, I did eventually keep going uh, with that. But 
the devastation needed to be examined. And again, this is a lot of what I work on with my clients is that these kinds of devastating experiences in our life, key experiences in our life that can become barriers. And I was just sent in, in a free fall, really. And, and I had to allow that free fall. There was no just pushing through or coming back or having to step up upper lip. But, if, but I did work my way through it. And I was able to continue working on the book. And ultimately, I set the book aside but not because of that. There were other reasons why I ended up sending the book aside, which was a good thing. Because then when I did pick the book up again three years ago, after about 12 years, I was able to come back to the book with fresh eyes. And I was able to include uh, a lot of that time and dealing with that devastating experience in the book in a way that was more objective and less reactive than I might have if I had finished the book at that time. And also, I, I think you said something in in this new iteration of the book that being grateful to this publisher for even starting you on the path, I mean, in some ways. Exactly, Justine. I had a very different attitude about it because the book now is the book that I intended it to be, and it and I don't think it would have been that book. And the book is richer for my having been able to include these very vulnerable experiences because I think... I think many people can relate to a feeling of betrayal and loss and incredible disappointment. And often this stops us from continuing on our path or we take it as a sign, oh, this means I shouldn't have done it. But really the creative path is the life path. And it's really about how do we assess situations that derail us and how do we tell the difference between those that are intended for us to go in a different direction versus those experiences that are there to strengthen us, that are asking us to go deeper, to take time off that path and to descend into a deeper realm in order to heal. The creative process is, from my point of view, is really a transformational journey. It isn't just getting from point A to point B with a finished product. The rich and meaningful experience of the creative process, the way I use it in my work with clients, has to do with how the process enables you to descend past your barriers and into that rich material that's often painful, but that with a guide, with conscious connection, that pain can become a transformational journey that frees up a whole host of inner resources that, that you ultimately have available to you. And it's worth it. The, the pain of embracing those experiences that are held within the body it's worth it after you are able to get through it. Beautiful. And I, I'm, I remember there's another incident that you talk about in the book has to do with that being vulnerable. And you were asked to give um, a workshop for a bunch of managers. And unbeknownst to you, they were required to be there. They didn't choose. It wasn't a free will that they chose to be there. And there were some people that were very resistant when you started presenting. And and what I loved about what you did is that you created in that room when you realized that there was all that resistance a, a what I would call a greater field of receptivity by being vulnerable. Can, can you say something about that experience? Yes, I love that expression, a greater field 
of receptivity. I like the term transparency. And I think that in the face of resistance and the hostility, the only thing you can do is to open yourself up and allow people to see who you are. I think one of the things that you've written about resistance is do not get in a power struggle with resistance. I just, that just really popped for me. It's like, okay, uh, so is that a losing battle? Well, yes, I think so. And I think that one of the things that uh, people don't expect or they don't realize is that whenever you have a goal and whether you're making a making something an actual creative product or you're journeying in your life resistance to the direction you want to go in is inevitable and and so the idea is is when you hit that resistance you need to be able to engage it and to accept it rather than being surprised because most of the time what we want what we most desire there's also a part of us that's afraid of it, that's afraid of the consequences. And none of us has a completely uh, open sense of possibility. We've all been conditioned in one way or another to, to accept the status quo of who we are. So if we're reaching further than our boundary, if we're reaching past the current experience of what we know, there's always going to be part of us that wants to protect from the unknown, and that is what resistance is for. Resistance is there to protect the status quo, so that ensures our survival. It's, it's how we've evolved as human beings. So I think that resistance is a sign that you're moving in some direction that some part of you is fearful about. And I think the way to deal with that is to engage resistance in a loving way not just beat yourself up for for the presence of that resistance. I, I just kind of get the image, and, and it, I guess it goes back to that idea of Aikido, and that's to stand with it and view the world through its eyes, you know, in some ways, or 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 to to speak to the the demon of resistance. Give it give it a. a something, give it some form and actually befriend it in some way like some some fairy tale in some way. Uh, I think Joseph Campbell would approve of that. I'm here with Kathy Wild, and she is the author of Wild Ideas, Creativity from the Inside Out. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, kathywild.com. She spells her name C-A-T-H-Y-W-I-L-D, kathywild.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Kathy Wild, and she's the author of Wild Ideas, Creativity from the Inside Out. And Kathy, I know that you talk about when when we put our vision out in the world, our private offering out into the world, whether it's art or uh, music or or whatever it is, whatever this endeavor is, uh, whether it's creating a radio program, then it becomes public. It becomes a public domain, so to speak. We we can't control how it's received. And sometimes it's received really well, and sometimes it's kind of ignored even. But there was a story you tell about one time when it was when your private vision became very important to someone, and that was when you did a painting called Teal Woman. Can you describe that? Yes, that was an amazing experience. Um, I used to do some figure uh, paintings, and I had a show with a number of friends uh, where we all put our work up. Uh, we cleared out a house and we turned it into a gallery, and there were hundreds of people there. And I, one of the paintings I displayed was Teal Woman. And one of the wonderful things that happens when we take the risk to put our vision out there is, is we can become links in a chain of truth. And I think that is one of a, a great honor for a creator when that happens. And in this case, a woman saw my painting uh, and called me on the phone and asked if she could buy it. And then she proceeded to tell me this amazing story. She had been hit by a drunk driver a, a year ago and was hospitalized for months, months and months and months. She was in a coma for a long time. And during that time in a coma, somebody told her that she was mumbling something about the color teal. She had no memory of this, but somebody had told her that she was mumbling about the color teal. And she found herself standing in front of my portrait. It was sort of a, the portrait was a picture of a woman who was just very proud, sitting on a throne. It was very abstract, kind of like a, an Amazon woman on a throne, very strong. And the title was Teal Woman. And she felt that this had been painted as a testament to her survival and wanted to buy it. And I was just floored by this experience and just so grateful that something that I had painted could mean this much to someone and find its way to the perfect buyer. And this is one of the gratifications of putting your vision out there, not knowing whether someone is going to respond or not. And I know that we take a chance putting our work out there. Like I I just went to a one-woman show of her her life's work, and that's a big... uh, test of vulnerability. And I know this woman, before she did that to, in a more public way, she she sat down with some of her friends, her close friends, and, and her first presentation of it was in a more um, uh, supportive, where she knew it was a supportive setting. And, uh, you know, I like that idea of the stages of putting your work out there and getting feedback and maybe in adjusting it uh, accordingly, not not to not to uh, just totally distort it to just get positive feedback because you do, you want to stay true to your image. But do you have any thoughts on that? 
Well, again, I think that's honoring your rhythms and what you need to do as a creator. If if you're feeling shy, I think having having setting your own show up with friends or having a few people over and putting your work out is a really wonderful thing to do. And for someone else, they just maybe want to go for it. So I think what's important is is really looking at your particular relationship to what it means to step out, which is that final stage in the creative process where you're really exposing yourself to the world. And you either decide you do it or you don't even have to do it and just enjoy the process for what it is. But I think that having a support system for what you're doing is vital. And yet I do know creators who would just rather hurl themselves out and show their work to strangers as opposed to the people closest to them. Because sometimes the people closest to them are critical. Uh, some of us come from families where our families are very tend to be very critical. So for people like that, they might do better just stepping out with a group of strangers. So in, uh, in doing that, um, placing our creativity uh, beyond our own personal circle that there's a, a, a kind of vulnerability then that we are putting that out there with. Uh, we're, we're, in allow, we're giving it away, we're, and we're going to have to let it go then. It's very vulnerable. I mean, I'm sending my book out now into the universe, and I've been incredibly anxious about it for months and months, and you just have to live within that anxiety for a while until you start getting feedback and you have to trust that you've done the best you can and then the universe is going to take its course. Then what about the letdown at the end? Like you've put all this work into something and, and it's out there in the world, it's gotten the feedback and, and now, and you felt really good about it or, or most likely, hopefully you felt really good about it. And then, you know, it's finished. It's over. It's done. And there's kind of a, I think you you describe it, a postpartum depression can set in. Yes, I think sometimes people don't expect that. I mean, I think if for experienced creators, they maybe recognize that stage. But I think some people expect that when you finish something after all the hours you've put into it, that there would be this relief. And I think sometimes there is initially you feel fulfilled. There's definitely that stage. But at some point, there's going to be that emptiness that cycles around because of all the effort you've put out and because all the effort has filled your days. You've had a sense of purpose. You've had direction. Uh, your work is like your friend. Uh, you've, you, your whole life is revolved around it. And then suddenly you have this empty space. And for some people, maybe there's a relief to have the space and you can rest and relax and not have to think about anything. But for many people, that emptiness leads into a a sense of depression and despair. And again, here's where the creative process becomes an opportunity for transformational work. I think that when you're so identified with what you are doing, that when it, you're not doing it anymore, you, you're in despair, that's an opportunity to look at what is happening with self-esteem and what issues may be coming up that you, that you have to be engaged all the time with something in order to feel good about yourself. That being said, there needs to be an empty space. Part of the purpose of that empty space is that it is inviting in the next inspiration. If the, if it's, if the space is always full, 
then there's no room for anything new. It's like the, the teacup that's always filled. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, and you have to empty it out. Yes. I, I'd love for you to say something. You have uh, a piece in your book you call The Standing Place. And I'd love for you to say, what does that mean to have a standing place? And why is that important? Well, the, ch the, the chapter on standing place is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, that's, that's in the last phase of the creative process, although standing place is relevant all the way through. It's something, it goes back to something my father taught me when I was very young. And he, he, did a, he was a valedictorian at his high school, and the title of his speech was Make Good Thy Standing Place. And this is something that has always stayed with me from the time I was a little girl, and I really wanted to honor the memory of that by um, bringing it into my book. So standing place is a concept that I teach that has to do with where do you stand? Literally, where do you stand? And when you're out, when you're stepping out into the world with your work, there is so much buffeting you, challenging you, criticizing you, or just making it plain difficult for you to be seen in the world, that without a strong place within yourself to come back to, you're, you know, you're just going to be blown away. And if you do get knocked down, as I did in my process, this standing place will eventually assert itself and bring you back so that you can take on the challenges of taking your work out into the world and finding your way in the world, whether it's, it's a piece of work or whether it's just your path of finding where you belong. So th that's what standing place is all about. And just uh, lastly, we only have uh, a minute left, and I'm just... Uh, want to close out with um you you also talk about the creative spiral and so many times maybe in our work we we think that we're going round and round and round in a circle and uh i've been here before and it just feels like we're getting nowhere and sometimes i feel like for me at least it it it's helpful to have friends to remind me oh no you've been progressing all along and you talk about uh, your the creative spiral Yes, uh, I wanted to find a way to reiterate how important it is to see the creative process as a life process. There is no beginning or end. You're constantly moving around on the same issues and just going to uh, a different level. And I think that that's important so that you always have another chance. If you are a consciously evolving and you're looking at what is getting triggered in the process and you're looking at your the issues that are coming up, then you always have a chance to go to new levels. It, it doesn't matter whether you've had a disappointment or a loss because there's always going to be another opportunity to come around again and go to the next level. Kathy, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions program today. Thanks for having me, Justine. I've been speaking with Kathy Wilde and she's the author of Wild Ideas, Creativity from the Inside Out. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, kathywild.com. She spells her name C-A-T-H-Y-W-I-L-D. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3603. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.